Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Turn to Numbers. We are looking at the book of Numbers, going through it quickly, kind of a survey. Today our title is Provision and Punishment. And again, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, then please let me know. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. As we look at our third message in Provision and Punishment on the book of Numbers, let me ask you a question as we're just, as you're just turning there. Something to consider. How do you respond when you don't get what you desire? How do you respond? Going through life, there's something you desire, but you don't get it. How do you respond when you feel that life isn't fair? That somebody else is getting your share, or you're not getting your fair share? Or let me ask you this, how do you respond when you think that others have it better than you? Your circumstance is not as good as someone else's. How do you respond to those types of things, when things are monotonous, when things are drudgery, when things don't go like you would like them to. Last week we read through the first four chapters of Numbers as Yahweh presents, prepared Israel, excuse me, for the next leg of their journey to the Promised Land. Moses was commanded, you might recall, to uh, conduct several censuses to prepare the Hebrew children for war, to prepare them for the care of the tabernacle, and then the various duties of the priest. And from there, they were challenged, or we were challenged, to prepare ourselves as well. We're to prepare ourselves for the cost of following Christ, to prepare for our sanctification journey, which can be very difficult. And then we challenged ourselves to prepare ourselves for eternity. And that was a great topic of discussion in our small groups is how do we prepare for eternity? Or what do you mean when we prepare for eternity? Today we're going to take a quick look at chapters 5 through 10 and then spend some time considering the provisions and punishments of the Almighty God in chapter 11. So first I want to summarize chapters 5 through 10. As we open up to the fifth chapter of Numbers, the Hebrew children are still at Mount Sinai. They're, they've been there for a year. They're now entering their second year of their deliverance from Egypt. And they're waiting some final instructions. The first instructions regards the cleansing of the camp. And this cleansing about the camp is not about picking up trash or keeping your campsite nice and tidy, but has to do with their calling as a holy nation, as a chosen people of God. As you might recall from our study in Leviticus last fall, they had quite a few commands and rules concerning uh, their diet and how they were to live and their clothing and even their morality and even their laws. In the cleansing of the, cat, of the camp that's found in chapter 5 and through most of chapter 6, God gives them some instructions that concerns about restitution for wrongs. What to do if someone wrongs you or you wrong someone else. So restitution. The second one is the purity and faithfulness and marriage. And, that, and that's kind of a, a difficult topic as you read through that. The next one was the rules for the Nazarites, those people who would dedicate themselves in a special service to God. You might recall a Nazarene, as, as, as um, Samson was, could not cut their hair, they couldn't touch uh, alcohol, things of that nature. 
Now the second set of instructions as we continue on through chapter 10 concern the offerings of the tabernacle. And you'll see people who are bringing their, their offerings to the tabernacle. The dedication and the retirement plans for the priest. The making of silver trumpets that would be that serve as signals to call the 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 um, the children of Hebrew or the Hebrew children to action, and then what we see as we come to the close of that, the observance of the second Passover. You might recall the first Passover was on the night in which they left uh, the the night before they left Egypt. Now this is their second Passover. But now as we come to the third instructions, and that's found in chapter 10 as we close, as Israel is finally commanded to leave Mount Sinai. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Numbers chapter 10. It's going to be here on the monitor. Look at verse 33 as we come now to the final instruction. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands, thousands of Israel. Father, Give us wisdom, discernment as we read your word, understanding that, yes, numbers is, 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 is from the history, recorded history of an ancient tribe. And Father, we have to do the work of looking at it and seeing what does that mean for us today? What is the truth then? What is the timeless truth today? And Father, give us, uh, you know, itch ears to hear. Lord, let us uh, be, uh, um, uh, be able to, to, to concentrate. And Father, let me speak the words that are edifying. And Father, let us respond to the Holy Spirit's work. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, wouldn't you like that? Now, did any of you get in your car in the morning and say, Arise, O Rob, and let all those cars in front of me part and let me pass. Did any of you start the day like that? Wouldn't it be kind of neat? And any of you who get in my path, would you put them in destruction or put them to the side of the road? Well, probably not. But as we look here, this is the call of Moses. They're asking for safety and for blessing. This is the promise of God that he would protect them on the journey. So as you see that as the backdrop, and as we come to the end of chapter 10, everything is looking good. It's a charm life. Excitement fills the air along with the sounds and the smells and the sights of close to 2 million people who are gathering up their tents and their families and their animals to take their place in line. You can almost imagine the thrill and the pride of each tribe as their leaders unfurl their tribal banners, ready to march together to the promised land. This journey has been in the making for over 400 years. It was first promised to Abraham and then his sons in Genesis, and now their descendants, one year removed from their, uh, from four, their, their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They are now ready to triumphantly begin that last leg of the journey and enter into the promised land. However, as you and I come to chapter 11, we find that it didn't take long for this excitement to end. Maybe this is like your family trip with your children, I don't know. But as you and I come to, to Numbers chapter 10 verse 33, we see that they had only gone three days before we go to chapter 11 when they start to complain, to grumble, 
and a moan to each other. Like many of us today, it didn't take long for them to contract a bad or to, you know, to contract a bad attitude that would lead to devastating consequences. And as we come to chapter 11, as we're going to read it here this morning, we're going to read of Yahweh's, of God's provision for them, but yet also the punishment that comes. It's very much a part of the human sinful nature, is it not, to complain? Even when things are going well, and we are well supplied, we begin to see what we do not have. Our sinful pride is always on the lookout for ways to complain. Our attitudes are marred, and you need to mark this down. Our attitudes are marred with selfish thoughts that keep us from praising and worshiping God as we should. Complaining, though, is not a harmless activity. You and I think, well, what's wrong with complaining? What's wrong with moaning? And we so quickly do that, either out loud or in our hearts, in our minds, and we just think, though, it's just a harmless attitude. It's a, everyone complains. But let me tell you what we're going to see here in chapter 11, that complaining is not a harmless attitude. It's an attitude that can lead to devastating results. So I want to give, share with you here, if you're taking notes, four observations about a complaining attitude. Four observations about a complaining attitude. Number one, a complaining attitude, you need to understand that a complaining attitude is actually a charge against God's very character. It's against his goodness, his providence, and his love, and his, and, his, and his concern for us. A complaining attitude is a charge against God's character. Look with me at Numbers chapter 11. We're going to read verse 1 together. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was what? Kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Tibera, because the Lord, or because the fire of the Lord burned among them. A complaining attitude is a charge against the character of God. What is striking about this episode is how quickly the journey dissolves into a group part pity party. Do we not notice? We notice that, do we? We, we do our, the same things ourselves. It's a wonderful time of blessing and excitement of God's deliverance for them. Yet only three days into the journey, the people begin to complain about their misfortunes. Now, it doesn't mention what those misfortunes were, but it would be safe to say that they paled in comparison to the promises and the provisions of God. These promises are captured in Numbers chapter 6. Turn back to chapter, Numbers chapter 6, if you would. These promises are captured by the wonderful words that Yahweh gives to Aaron, who is the high priest, was to offer this prayer as a reaffirmation of God's covenant promises to the Israel. This prayer was to remind them of God's love and providence and care for them. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. Look at verse 23 with me. This is what God told him, and this is very familiar. This is a famous passage of Scripture. 
God says to Moses, Tell Aaron to speak to Aaron and his sons, saying this, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, and here's the blessing, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, and he be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. He will look upon you, and he will give you peace. So shall they put my, uh, my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Before they head out, this is the promise that Aaron would give them after a worship service. You might have been at a service where they give this same type of blessing. It's, again, it's one that many would do. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's peace be upon you. This should have been on their minds and their hearts. But how quickly, how quickly they have forgotten that God had provided. He had provided for them leaders. He had provided a divine warrior, Jesus himself, to go before them. Manna, meat, protection, guidance, all during the journey, God was going to provide for them. But how silly they thought that their complaints would not be heard by an omniscient, omnipresent God who hears every idle word and secret thought. And let me give you an editorial note here. Never think that your complaint, whether spoken out loud to a group or whispered to a friend or corralled in the mind of your will, will escape the one who declares in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. The Lord hears their cries. Not for help, not provision, provision, but in complaint of what God had did and given them. Now this complaint may be seen trivial in many people's eyes, but yet, in fact, this complaint, this attitude, it was in fact a rebellion against the character of God. You say, well, how is that? Well, like Satan Complaints serve to declare that God is not a good, loving God or one to be trusted. It's one that says, God has not given me what I deserved. God must not love me. Or it's a jealousy that says, God has not given me what he's given someone else. That's what jealousy is. Jealousy says, God owes me. Greed says, I owe myself. Anger says, you owe me. Shame and guilt says, I owe you. And these are the different things that are happening when complaints come. And what it is, it's shaking the fist, so to speak, at the character and the goodness and the providence of God. You are not meeting my need. You say, wait a second, my complaint isn't about God. It's about my job. It's about my spouse. It's about my, my finances. It may be about my retirement. It might be just about my car. Who's the one who gives all things? God. You see, but you don't understand. I'm complaining about my circumstance. Well, who's the providential sovereign God who orders all of our steps? The almighty creator of the universe. And so you and I must recognize that when we shake our fists, whether it's not at heaven or not, it's just in our own minds. And that complaining, that moaning, that grumbling, in our hearts, whether it's out loud to a friend or to a group of people, is actually a charge against the sovereign, almighty God. This attitude 
becomes to the death of a small portion of Israelites as only those around the outlying parts of the camp are engulfed by some type of fire. Whether it was fire from heaven, which God shows many times he can do, or whether it started in the brush, we don't know, but God providentially kills them for that attitude. Why? Because a complaining charge, or a complaining attitude is a charge against the holiness and the loving, wonderful character of God. Number two, a complaining attitude will lead others to sin. And this is something you and I realize. We think, well, no, wait a second. A complaining attitude, it's just about me. I'm just, I'm letting some steam off. I'm just letting some things off. But you need to realize is that a complaining attitude will lead others. Now, I had actually changed this this morning. Up until uh, uh, this morning, about 9 o'clock, I had a complaining attitude may lead others to sin. But the more I considered it, no, it, it leads others to sin. It will lead others to sin. You cannot put out a complaint without it affecting the mind and the attitude of others. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Look at verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. You may want to underline that and circle that. Now the rabble among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept. I mean, this is how it came to. They wept, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Though they re- Did they forget that they were slaves? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. That does not sound very appealing. I don't know what it is. The onions and the garlic. Maybe it was a pizza. I don't know. But now our strength is dried up. Oh, poor me. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. You would have thought that the fire coming down from the heavens and burning up a portion of your camp would have changed some attitudes. No. In this case, it doesn't even seem like it to be the Israelites at first who are rumbling. But a rabble that was among them. This word rabble, this Hebrew word, is only used one time in the Bible and it's used right here. And it actually is referring to, as you might recall from Exodus, that mixed group of people who went with the Israelites. Remember, as there's two million people, that's two million people, so to speak, or give or take a few uh, thousands there of the Israelites. But remember when they left, there was also some other mixed races, some Egyptians and others that traveled and went with them. They took the opportunity and and went with them. So what we're seeing here is at first, it's not really the Jewish children. It's not the chosen people of God that begin to complain, but this mixed group. Scripture tells us that this group had a strong craving for really from some home-cooked meals. This grumbling eventually moved, though, to the Israelites, to the children of God as they heard it. What happens is they are affected by it. And you and I know that. What's that old phrase? If mama ain't happy, no one's happy. No one's happy. So, has any of you lived that experience? Oh yeah, you know it. You know it. You see someone that has a complaining attitude, you know eventually you're just going to avoid that person, right? Or they're going to complain to you. And when someone is complaining all the time, what does it do to you? Doesn't it just dry up your soul, drain you? Or it gets you to the point where you start, yeah, you know what, you're right. That boss is an idiot. Well, this job really does, just reeks. I don't like this. But all of a sudden, this grumbling moves to the Israelites who join them in their discontent and moaning about their diet. 
Again, you and I must remember that God has given them quail earlier in the year to supplement their daily diet of manna, but it seems like he didn't continue to do that. Most of us would probably agree that only having manna would be boring and monotonous. However, they are missing the point that this God, this is God, this manna is God's miraculous provision for them. Now, if you continue reading there, it gives you again an illustration or or description of what the manna is. And I don't know what it tastes like. I don't know if it maybe had different tastes, but you and I can almost understand why. I mean, having the same thing every day uh, to most of you would seem boring. I pretty much eat pretty much the same thing uh, every day and every week. But, you know, to me, that's life. To others, that isn't. How often do you, though, and I have this attitude about our jobs, the monotony, the same old, same old, our diet, our living situation, or just life. We look at it and we say, this is not enough. I'm tired of this. We're just wanting something different. Well, how this leads to sin is that they didn't pray and ask God for something different. They didn't ask God for a different type of provision. They didn't come to Moses and God with a humbleness of heart. But they come with complaints. And eventually, it not only affects the Israelites, but it also then affects Moses. They sound like kids from the drama club crying out, Our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. They even begin to weep. A complaining attitude will most likely cause others to question the goodness and love of God. And let us not fall into that trap. Imagine you're sitting there at work and you're complaining about your boss or about your job. What will those who are non-believers think? How then could you say, God is good all the time? All the time, God is good. Do we not say that? Do we not repeat that to each other? But yet then we go to work and say, ah, I hate this job. Can't stand my neighbor and his dog. We're complaining and we're moaning. And it affects others. Number three, a complaint. This is all introduction, by the way, so we'll, let's get through this. A complaining attitude will exasperate, will exasperate those that love you, those that lead you, those that God puts over you. <clears throat> let's continue in Numbers 11. Look at verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Oh my goodness. Everyone at the door of his tent. It's not like they don't have food. <laughs> it sounds like a child, doesn't it? And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Let's not take that, let's not take that flippantly. Let's, re, let's consider that. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Speaking of himself. Now he's having a pity party. And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay down the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive of all these people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? Or as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give them to the fathers? I have not asked for this. Remember, I actually argued with you back in Exodus. I I shouldn't have to do this. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is way too heavy for me. I put that in there. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Anyone ever say that? If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. 
Their complaining finally affected Moses as he responds with displeasure, anger, and frustration to God. He questions why God's put him in this position. He declares that he did not ask for all of this responsibility. And even he now begins to question God's plan. Moses forgets all that God has done for him and the people. And once again, he questions God's goodness. And once again, he asks for death. It would rather to be dead than to lead these people. You and I have to understand, when you and I complain about our situation, when we complain about our circumstances, we complain about the provision of those that lead us, whether it's our parents, our spouses, our bosses, teachers, government leaders, it can cause them to respond in ways that are unhelpful, and it makes their jobs more difficult. And not only that, as we go back to the last one, it causes them to sin against God themselves. This is why scripture commands, children, obey and honor your parents. That's why it says, fathers, not to provoke your children to wrath. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, to love your wives. Husbands, live in an understanding way with your wives. It's why it says, masters, take care of your servants. And servants, to obey your masters. It's why citizens are to pray, to honor and submit to the government authorities. And also for Christians to pray and to submit to church leaders so that we not exasperate them and lead them to sin as well. <clears throat> when you and I adopt an ungrateful, complaining attitude, it makes the job of those who God has put over us more difficult. It makes it harder. You understand this. Not only does it get them to respond negatively towards you, and worse yet, it causes them to respond negatively to God. And the last thing you and I need are leaders who have a sinful attitude about God or who are frustrated or angry or despondent about God's work in their life. Now, just a couple of extra notes here as we're going to see in 11, 16 through 18 that God promises to provide for Moses and to give them meat. In verse 11 or 16, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders whom you know to be the elders of the people and, and, and officers over them and bring them down and I will come down and talk to them. So he, he says, I'm going to give you some help. You're right. You're, you're leading too much. Now we had saw this in Exodus, so whether this is the same type of event, it's the same 70 or not, not sure, but he, what he was going to do, he's going to take, I'm going to give you 70 men and these men are going to help carry the burden for you so that you do not have to bear it. But he also says, consecrate yourself for tomorrow and you shall eat meats. For you have wept in hearing the Lord, where is meat or who will give us meat for what's better in Egypt? God says, I hear you. I hear your complaints. I will give you what you need. But what we find in chapter 18, verse B, the second part of verse 18, is that you and I need to be careful for what we ask for. Therefore, the Lord, he says, will give you meat and you shall eat. What a great promise. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 or 20, but a whole month I am going to give you meat until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. This sounds like a parent. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. You need to underline that. And that emphasizes what I said earlier. Why is he going to give this to you? It's going to be loathsome to say. It's going to come out of your nostrils. Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. 
That's what a complaining attitude does. And you have wept before him say, why did we come out of Egypt? Why did you come out of Egypt? Because I delivered you. I heard your cry in Exodus chapter 1. We saw this two seasons ago when we went through Exodus. I heard your cry. I saw your pain. I remembered my promise and I delivered you. But then fourthly, a complaining attitude will eventually bring God's judgment. You and I think that we can say a careless word of complaint and then that's it. It doesn't affect anybody. It doesn't really make any changes. But what we see here in verse 31 of Numbers is that it eventually brings God's judgment. Then a wind from the Lord sprung up and it brought quail from the sea. It's a type of small bird. And they let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. That's about three feet. And the people rose all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered this quail. And those who gathered least gathered ten homers and those who spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And this is talking about bushels here. So about ten bushels. While the meat was yet between their teeth. Look at this. When the meat was yet between the teeth, before it was fully consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people of Israel, people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of the place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. Remember they had a strong craving, craving for me. God gives them what they have. They eat, be it God's judgment is on them. Why? Because they were eating meat? No, no, no. It's not God's a vegetarian in this case. I think that's just a side note. Um, but what we see here is because of their complaining attitudes, their desires. They desired meat rather than the goodness and the blessings and the promises of God. We read here that God gives them what they've asked for and more. As they wake up in the morning, the ground is covered with quail three feet deep. They don't even have to go hunt for these things. They just start bringing them in and, and, and capture them. Greedily, you can almost see it, greedily, they begin to appease their craving. Hopefully they're at least cooking it or boiling it, only to face the anger of the Lord who struck down a portion of the people with some type of plague. Now, as you and I read Numbers chapter 11, we can learn exactly what Paul meant when he exclaimed in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things happened to them, specifically speaking about the wilderness, as an example. Remember that from our first part of the series three weeks ago? He says these things, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions. So here are you and I. So we're, we're 3,000 years plus from this incident. We're not in that ancient land. We're not in some camp. We're not stuck with just manna. We're not the chosen people of Israel heading to a promised land of Canaan. But yet, so how does this reflect you and I today? And that's what I want to speak about. Because these things still serve as an example to you and I. They serve as an instruction for us. So as we look at it this morning, what ways are the examples? How does this incident serve to instruct us? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us very good, wise, godly advice to the Christians at 1 Thessalonica chapter 5, verse 16. God says this, Rejoice Always. 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So with that, I'm going to give you why they are an example. They're, they're complaining. They're, they're, they're bad attitudes. How is it instruction for you and I today? And I want to give you three ways that you and I must combat the enemy of complaining. You and I need to realize that complaining, as we've seen here, is sinful. It's a rejection of God. It's a charge against God's goodness. It can lead others to sinful attitudes. And it serves a judgment. As God, a judgment is, comes to those that disobey God. So there's three ways that you and I need to combat this. I think you see that complaining and moaning, I, I pray that you're, you're convinced this morning that that is not an attitude of those who follow Christ. You and I have it. You and I struggle with it. Even today, maybe we're complaining. Maybe we're moaning as we were coming to church this morning. But you and I need to combat these ideas, this attitude that rises up against the goodness and the provisions of God. The first thing that you and I must do is God's children must be content in all circumstances. You and I must be content in all circumstances. The Apostle Paul commands us, as you look at this next verse on the monitor, Philippians 4.11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation, whatever uh, circumstance, whatever misfortune, I'm using my own words here, I am to be, what do you think he says? Content. I I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. For I have learned the secret of facing plenty and the secret of hunger, of abundance and need. You and I, must be content in all circumstances. We must not look in our lives and say, oh, look at the misfortunes. The problem is, is you and I don't see that where you are now, the circumstance that you are in right now, doesn't matter where you're living or how you're living. This is God's plan and will for your life. So when you complain, you're complaining against the very wisdom and goodness of God. No matter what misfortune you are undergoing, no matter what circumstance has you down, we must remember that all things in our life are ordered by God. It can be very easy to have a complaining attitude when things don't go our way or when we feel we are not getting what we deserve. But you and I must not allow ourselves to complain against an almighty holy God. Do you understand? See, but I'm just complaining about my spouse. I'm just complaining about them not picking up on themselves. Or just my kid not doing the homework. I'm just complaining about, well, my, my house just isn't it. Or, or I, I, you know, I'm still having to rent. It's still God's will for you. You and I must understand that. Yes, it may not be what you and I desire. It may not be all that we want. But it is God's good will for us. The key to combating that enemy of discontentment. And let me tell you, that discontentment is there in our hearts. It resides. It is desiring just to show its ugly head. But you and I just got to bust that down. And the way that you and I do that is found in Philippians chapter 4. When the Apostle Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So how do we defeat discontentment? Rejoice. 
rejoice. Instead of murmuring and complaining, which many times does more harm than good, you and I should need to develop the spiritual skill. The spiritual skill, you need to develop it. It's not something you may not have. You have to develop the skill of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Instead of sin, complain about your spouse, your job, your car, your salary. Rejoice. For this is God's plan for you. How do men and women who were being martyred for God, how do they rejoice as the sword is coming down or as they're carried up into a cross or as a lion is, is bouncing towards them, ready to tear them up with their jaws? How do they rejoice in the Lord, recognizing that was God's will for them? Number two, God's children must control their cravings. That's what caused their problem, their strong craving for what the world had to offer them. What God has for me is not good enough. I want what the world has. That was the craving. That's the craving of the believer today when you're fighting sin. That's all sin is, is you are discontented, you are displeased, you are dissatisfied with the promises of God. You're saying, I want something Different. I crave something different. You and I know how hard these cravings can be. Whether you are pregnant and the weirdest food items come up in your mind, or you're suffering from a diet that keeps you from your favorite food, or to something more dangerous like lust, adultery, or other immorality. The more you and I resist the cravings, what do we find? It becomes stronger, does it not? And it seems to get its way eventually. But you and I must tread carefully in our Christian walk. To give into a craving is dangerous. Scripture warns us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, that what overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. They were enslaved to leeks, to onions, and to garlic. They wanted some meat. What's your craving? What is it right now that you're complaining and moaning about? What craving is so strong in your life that you're ready to complain against God because he has not given it to you? Like dogs that return to its vomit, our hearts begin to complain to God when that craving, craving excuse me, creeps up out of the depths of our heart. It causes us to doubt God's goodness and God's plan for our lives. We complain that his commands are too burdensome. We make and his laws make our lives more difficult. This is exactly what Satan desires. He desires to use your cravings as a way to draw you away from God and to destroy your character. He does this by attacking your love and your desire for Christ, by having you focus on your worldly desires, on those things that are outside of God's promises and God's good gifts to you. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1, that as obedient children, do not be conformed to this world by the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. The key to combating this enemy, this enemy of a strong craving, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Here Paul commands us to do three things. He says, to put off your old self which belongs to the former manner of life 
and is corrupt throughout. And then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. So you and I have a job, is you and I need to put off this old self, thinking of maybe clothing that is dirty. What is it, that craving that you just need to put off? And then he says to be renewed, think of taking a shower. We need to clean up our minds and our hearts of those things. And then he says, don't go walking naked into the world, you're just going to get again. He says, then put on the new self, the new creature, the righteousness of Christ. And you and I need to do that daily, if not hourly, if not minute by minute, recognizing that God has called us to be holy. Instead of complaining about what we do not have, we should be praying to God that he would give us a greater measure of faith to fight with diligence the cause of our former passions, those cravings that become so difficult. And to give us a greater measure of grace to spare us from the schemes of Satan. Our prayer should be as Jesus. Father, lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. When that craving comes so strong, instead of complaining and, and not looking and, forget, and complaining about the promises of God and looking at the world, you and I need more strength to fight and desire for the things of God. And number three, and this is our third and last one, that God's children must remember the goodness of God. He said back in Thessalonica, not only to rejoice, not only to pray without ceasing, but to give thanks in all circumstances. So you and I must remember the goodness of God. How quickly the Hebrew children forgot the goodness of God as did Moses, their leader. They forgot all the miraculous works that he had done in that previous year. But you and I fail too to remember the goodness of God towards us. If anything, every breath that you're taking listening to me should remind you of the goodness of God. The only thing that keeps you from death is the hand of God who says, stop breathing. We forget how God has sustained us. We have forgotten how God has forgiven us, how he has strengthened us and empowered us in our Christian journey. We must remember the goodness of God and the key, the key to remember the goodness of God. Because I have to tell you, these things sound easy, right? But we know that it's not. Because it's so quickly do we forget. They took them three days. It'll take you three minutes after I'm done preaching to forget what I just said to you. And so you and I need to understand that there's a key to remembering the goodness of God. Because many times the things that we desire become so much bigger than the things of God. But the thing, the way that we do this is to give thanks in all circumstances. I'm reminded of, uh, this is extra here. I won't charge you for it. But John Piper has this video. I encourage, I think many of you have seen it already. If you just Google um, John Piper... Um, help me out, the, the prosperity gospel. And he has this little clip where they put it to music, but it's him doing a pre, uh, preaching that he hates the prosperity gospel. And in it, he says something to the fact that would you praise God as your daughter goes through the windshield of your car on a snowy night? Now you and I would say, no, I'd complain. I'd shake my fist at God and say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? But even in that tragedy, and it is a tragedy, we're not to charge God with any complaints or his goodness. 
And I don't know any of you that have faced that. You have faced some terrible things. So I don't want, there are many of you who have faced things that I, I would struggle to do. And God has sustained you. God has strengthened you. But you and I must remember the goodness of God, even in death, even in tragedy, even in our own failures. The key to remember the goodness of God is to count your blessings. There's an old hymn called Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all that is lost. I think this is on the screen, yes. Thank you, Jake. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. I think if you were to end each day like that, you would be surprised how God has sustained you, how he has empowered you, how he has strengthened you, how he has fed you. The key to combating that, 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 that desire to think ill of God, to complain against God, is to remember the goodness of God. And you and I must do that by giving thanks in all circumstances. Let me ask you, who or what are you grumbling and complaining about today? Is it your spouse? Kids? Housing situation? Is it your finances? Your health? Is it your job? Is it your neighbors? Is it the government? Is it society, cultural? What is it is your complaint? You need to remember that your complaint is not against a flesh and blood, but is against the Almighty God. You and I must remember this. Jake, I think I have one more slide, do I not? I want to close with this verse. You know, why don't you read this out loud with me? We don't do that very often. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 16. Would you read this out loud with me? Ready? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Christian, child of God, do not mar your witness for Christ. Do not let your attitude in your mouth be one who brings a complaint against Almighty God. But rejoice, give thanks, and pray for God's blessings that we may be blameless and innocent witnesses for God. Let's bow our head and close our eyes as the worship team comes up. I want to thank you for being here this morning and for opening the Word of God. I'd encourage you to take your notes and read through Numbers 11 again. Prepare. I will have some questions for those who will be coming to small group. I want you to think about this. In what ways has a strong craving created grumbling, moaning, and complaining in your own heart? Would you pray and ask God, would you show me, dear Father, the ways in which I'm dissatisfied, that I'm unsatisfied in your provision, in your goodness, and in your character? Show me where I'm deficient in the ways in which I praise and worship. And as the Spirit reveals those things, would you quickly confess and repent of those? 
And then commit yourself to rejoicing, to giving thanks, and to pray without ceasing. That God may be glorified, and that you and I may receive good from him. Father, may that be so in our hearts. Encourage us. Let us remember the words of the blessing that God is with us. We are his chosen people. We too are a holy nation. And yes, Father, we must confess that as a church, as Christians, as believers, we too have complaining hearts. We have strong cravings that draw us away from your goodness. It blinds us to your truth and to your character. We confess that this morning and we repent of it. And Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of rejoicing. I pray that you give us a desire to pray more. And Father, to fight that craving. And Father, let us be always aware of your goodness, giving thanks for all things. We pray that we mean not like them, but Father, that we would trust you and praise you. That others may come to see and know you as Savior. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.